Hello and welcome to another edition of Todd Talks Bible. This engaging discipleship-based Bible study is sponsored by Church Discipleship Ministries. And our teacher is Todd Tolles, the founder and director of CDM. A career firefighter captain before entering the ministry, Todd founded Church Discipleship Ministries to equip and empower believers to fulfill your calling to be a spiritual warrior dedicated to fulfilling the Great Commission. Let's listen in now as Todd Talks Bible. Todd, being the first horseman of the apocalypse, the first seal is the rise of a worldwide government. Is there any other scripture that supports my interpretation? Yes, there is. We'll look at it. And we're also going to look at a lot of things that have happened in recent history over the last 12 years or so in our lifetime that will shock you down to your toenails and will give you insight on the last election and this upcoming election. And we'll talk about it all coming up next. Hi, brothers and sisters. My name is Todd Tolles. I'm the director of Church Discipleship Ministries. And I want to welcome you to our discipleship program, Todd Talks Bible. We are in a very exciting part of our study of the book of Revelation. We are looking at the seven seals. Now, just to recap, there are some things I want you to remember about the seven seals. First of all, these represent the last days of the church age, the last days when the bride of Christ is walking this earth as regular, just normal human beings, just like we're doing right now. This will happen in the last days of the church age, I think. And we talked about that last session when we went with a big picture overview of all the seven seals. The second thing I want to remind you is that this is not directly showing judgments that come directly from God and his wrath, directly from him being poured out on the earth yet. Those things happen with the trumpets and the bowl judgments, but it is not here in the seals. If you look at the seals, it's clear that when Jesus breaks the seal, he is removing a restraint from the sin of mankind, and this sin goes along its logical course and bears wicked fruit. And this sin is against each other as humans, and is what causes the problems that we see in the seven seals. Now, the third thing to remember about this seal is that it is of the first type of prophecy, what I like to call a general prophecy or a veiled prophecy. As I discussed last session, there's two types of prophecies throughout Scripture, veiled prophecies and prophetic signs. We've seen that in relation to different prophecies in the Old Testament, to the birth and the life of Christ. And we also see that here in the book of Revelation. And some of the seals, like I said last time, are prophetic signs and very specific so that the people who live through those signs know what's going on. But this is not a, a prophetic sign. This is of the first type, a veiled prophecy. So different people may argue about interpretation, but I hope to show you some scripture that will kind of clear up a biblical perspective and interpretation of this first seal. This first seal is the first horseman of the apocalypse. And even though people may uh, sometimes wonder exactly what it means and if it's happening now or later, I want to tell you that God is a merciful God, a graceful God, and he does sometimes give us warning signs of an impending prophecy. 
even if it's a veiled prophecy, so that those who are walking in his presence and living by his spirit can maybe pick up on some of these warnings and prepare. And we'll talk about some of those warnings coming on. So let's read about this first seal, the first horseman of the apocalypse, starting in Revelation chapter 6, verse 1. As I watched, the Lamb broke the first seal, the seven seals on the scroll. Then one of the four living beings called out with a voice that sounded like thunder, Come! I looked up and saw a white horse. Its rider carried a bow, and a crown was placed on his head. He rode out to win many battles and gain the victory. Now, this first horseman of the apocalypse, the first seal, is riding on a white horse, and the rider is carrying a bow. But you notice that he is given a crown, which means he conquers. He becomes a uh, winning victor of some type of uh, war. And it says that he wins many battles. But it doesn't necessarily have to be physical battles or warfare, because even though there might be some warfare, the aspect that the horse is white leads us to believe this is more of a political conquest and that he wins political battles and political maneuvering, and it leads to a conquering and a victory and what I think is a worldwide government. My interpretation of this first seal is that when Jesus breaks the seal, he quits restraining the natural desires for wicked people to form a one-world government. And this one-world government is going to be backed by Satan. And right now, Christ is restraining that from happening, restraining the evil one from forming his one world government. But when he breaks that seal, that restraint will be removed and Satan will be allowed to make his one world government. Now you say, Todd, that seems a little fanciful. What other scripture do you have to back that up? Well, let's look at some scripture that supports this position. The first one is in Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. And in this chapter, starting in verse 1, we see that the Holy Spirit has led Jesus out into the wilderness and Satan tempts him there, trying to get him to give up his call uh, to be the Savior of the world, the Messiah who has come to save us all. And so Satan is tempting him, trying to get him to compromise, to sin, so that he can set himself up as God. Well, when the devil or Satan comes up to Jesus, he gives him three major temptations, but one of them is very interesting, starting in verse 5. Then the devil took him up and revealed to him, referring to Jesus, all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. The devil told him, I will give you the glory of these kingdoms and authority over them because they are mine to give to anyone I please. I will give it all to you if you'll bow down and worship me. Jesus replied, the scriptures say you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. So here is Satan trying to Give Jesus all the kingdoms, control of all the kingdoms of the world, if he'll only bow down and worship Satan. But he says something very interesting. He says, these are mine to give who I please. 
So Satan is the ruler, the prince of this world. And we see that in other places of scripture, like in Ephesians. And Jesus himself referred to him as the prince of this world. So Satan has been is given domain over earth, this world. And throughout history, as we'll see later, he has backed certain regimes and um, maybe led the leaders or even possessed the leaders of certain regimes that rule the world. And his ultimate goal from the very beginning is to usurp God and set himself up as God in replace of Jehovah God. So that being the case, he is seeing an opportunity here. If he gets Jesus, the Son of God, God in the flesh, to bow down and submit to him, he says, I'll let you rule all of humanity. And you can save them. You can do whatever you want. Just worship me as God. But the Messiah, our Savior, Jesus, doesn't fall for that temptation. And he quotes scripture and drives Satan away and resist this temptation. So that shows, though, that the world is Satan's, and that he desires to be worshipped, and that he is very familiar with world governments, and can manipulate these governments. Now let's look at some other scriptures that show how Satan has been involved in world history, and is prophesied to raise up and be backing certain evil kingdoms and empires. Let's start with Daniel chapter 2. Daniel chapter 2. And you'll probably be familiar with this story. This occurs a time in history that King Nebuchadnezzar, who was king of Babylon, the world empire that time, uh, had conquered the nation of Judah and he had taken several of the best and brightest of the Judeans and made them his advisors. And one of them was Daniel. And he became a slave and an advisor to King Nebuchadnezzar and subsequent kings of Babylon. Now, in chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar has this vision, a dream uh, that was obviously a vision from God, and he wanted to know what it meant. And he asked all his wise men, but they said, well, tell us your dream, king, and we'll tell you what it means. He said, no, I know how y'all do. I'm not going to tell you my dream. If you're really of God, you'll be able to tell me my dream and the interpretation. And if not, I'm going to kill you all. Well, Daniel and his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, prayed, and the Holy Spirit revealed to Daniel the dream and its interpretation. Now, I'm going to pick up and start reading in verse 31. But I want to show you first this statue. The statue that uh, Daniel uh, is interpreting. This is a statue that King Nebuchadnezzar saw in his dream. This is a little graphic that represents this statue. Now, if you are one of our brothers and sisters who listen on our many podcasts, Obviously, you won't be able to see this graphic. So I encourage you to tune in to uh, YouTube, Todd Talks Bible on YouTube, and watch this session, session number 15, so you can see this graphic and some other things that are going to come up in today's session that I think you'll find very interesting. 
Now, as you can see, this statue uh, is just a rough representation of the statue that King Nebuchadnezzar saw in his dream. And it is a statue of a man, but it is made of several different metals. The first part of the statue is the head, and it is made entirely of the metal gold, the precious metal gold. And then the shoulders and arms, the upper chest and arms, basically, are made out of silver. Then the third part of this statue is made out of bronze. And it talks about the, the lower torso and the upper legs, uh, the, the waist and upper girdle part of a statue was made out of bronze. Then the lower legs, both lower legs, the shins basically, were made out of iron. And then you have a fifth part. And you'll see that it, uh, a lot of people skip over this, but if you look at the original language, it's very clear that it separates this, the feet, and they are made out of iron and clay. Iron and clay. So, gold for the head, silver for the uh, upper chest and arms, bronze for the lower abdomen and uh, hip area, and iron for the two legs, the lower legs, and iron and clay for both feet and toes. That is how the statue is designed. That is what King Nebuchadnezzar saw when he was looking and seeing this vision during his dream. Now, let's pick up reading in Daniel chapter 2, starting in verse 31. This is when Daniel comes and says, I know what the dream is, I know the vision, and I also know the answer. And he addresses King Nebuchadnezzar, starting in Daniel chapter 2, verse 31. Your majesty, in your vision, you saw in front of you a huge and powerful statue of a man, shining brilliantly, frightening and awesome. The head of the statue was made of fine gold. Its chest and arms were of silver. Its belly and thighs were of bronze. Its legs were of iron, and its feet were a combination of iron and clay. But as you watched, a rock was cut from a mountain by supernatural means. It struck the feet of iron and clay, smashing them to bits. The whole statue collapsed into a heap of iron, clay, bronze, silver, and gold. The pieces were crushed as small as chaff on a threshing floor. The wind blew them all away without a trace. But the rock that knocked the statue down became a great mountain that covered the whole earth. That was the dream. Now I will tell your majesty what it means. Your majesty, you are a king over many kings. The God of heaven has given you sovereignty, power, strength, and honor. He has made you the ruler over all the inhabited world and has put even the animals and birds under your control. You are the head of gold. But after your kingdom comes to an end, another kingdom inferior to yours will rise to take your place. 
After that kingdom has fallen, yet a third great kingdom, represented by the bronze belly and thighs, will rise to rule the world. Following that kingdom, there will be a fourth great kingdom, as strong as iron. That kingdom will smash and crush all previous empires, just as iron smashes and crushes everything it it strikes. The feet and toes you saw that were a combination of iron and clay show that this kingdom will be divided. Some parts of it will be as strong as iron, others as weak as clay. This mixture of iron and clay also shows that these kingdoms will try to strengthen themselves by forming alliances with each other through intermarriage. But this will not succeed just as iron and clay do not mix. During the reigns of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed. No one will ever conquer it. It will shatter all these kingdoms into nothingness, but it will stand forever. That is the meaning of the rock cut from the mountain by supernatural means, crushing to dust the statue of iron, bronze, clay, silver, and gold. The great God has shown your majesty what will happen in the future. The dream is true and its meaning certain. Now, the book of Daniel is a neat book to study because it's very easy to interpret. Because in the book, every vision that Daniel has is either interpreted uh, directly from the power of the Holy Spirit and God gives him the meaning of the vision, like here, or God sends an angel to explain the visions to Daniel. So every vision in the book of Daniel is explained by God or his angels that God sends to give the message explanation to Daniel. So it's pretty easy to interpret. And we see that here in this chapter. Now, in subsequent chapters of Daniel, it reveals even more about these kingdoms that follow. But since this is a Bible study on the book of Revelation, I'm not going to spend too much time on this vision. I'm just going to tell you how it is interpreted here and throughout the book of Daniel. So the head, Daniel says here in this chapter, is the king of Babylon. It represents the kingdom of Babylon. And then he says the kingdom that rises up after you. And by kingdom, he's always referring to worldwide powers, empires, worldwide powers that rule in one fashion or the other over the promised land of Israel. Even though they have been captured and uh, enslaved by these empires, they are over the geographical area of the promised land, these empires. And each of these empires, these kingdoms, are basically a worldwide government. Even though it doesn't cover the entire earth at this time, it basically covers everything of consequence every part of the civilized world at this time. So the first uh, of this empire and this statue is the king of Babylon. Now, obviously, this isn't the first worldwide empire. Even before Babylon, there was the kingdom of Assyria, the worldwide power of Assyria that came and conquered the nation of Israel. But the da- uh, Daniel and his vision picks up with what's going on now in King Nebuchadnezzar's life and what's going to follow after that. That is the scope of this vision that God gave the king.
So the head of gold represents Babylon. The kingdom that follows is represented by silver, the silver shoulders. And this represents the Medo-Persian Empire. It came into fruition and took over the worldwide power of Babylon. After the Medo-Persian Empire came the Greek Empire, which is represented by bronze on the statue. And after the Greek Empire the Roman Empire arose, and it is represented by the two legs of iron. And interesting enough, it is showing the two legs to show that it too became a divided kingdom. As we've already studied, remember the Roman Empire uh, started to break up around uh, the, the mid third century, around the mid 300s, and it became the Western Empire and the Eastern Empire, like we've already discussed. And so that is accurately represented here in this prophecy with the two legs of iron. And then it skips ahead. It says the feet represent a ten-king alliance. There's intermarriage going on, trying to uh, uh, unite these kingdoms. But this worldwide empire, this world empire that reigns over the uh, area of the Middle East where the promised land is, is a kingdom of ten kings, a united kingdom of ten kings. Now, this kingdom has not happened yet. How do we know that? Because in the prophecy, it says that a divine kingdom that is represented by the uh, block of pure stone that's cut, cut out without hands is sent to crush the kingdom of the ten kings. So, just like it said in verse 44, I'll read again. During the reigns of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed. No one will ever conquer it. It will shatter these kingdoms into nothingness, but it will stand forever. So, this rock, this boulder, this huge block that is cut out of the mountain by God represents the millennial kingdom of the Messiah. The kingdom of God reigning on earth in a physical fashion. This kingdom has not occurred yet, obviously. Christ has come to earth as our Savior, but he has not yet come as our King. And so this, when this happens, when Christ comes to set up his kingdom physically on earth, will occur at the time period of a worldwide government of the Ten Kings, the Ten King Confederation. And since Jesus is not reigning on earth yet uh, as the king of the world, but is still in heaven at the right hand of the throne of God, we know this has not happened yet. So this worldwide empire, this Ten King Confederacy will occur before Christ comes to set up his kingdom. Now, what's interesting, later on in Daniel chapter 7, he refers in another vision to this kingdom. And it says this, starting in uh, verse 23. 
Then he said to me, this fourth beast represents a world power that will rule the earth. It will be different from all the others. It will devour the whole world, trampling everything in its path. Its ten horns are ten kings that will rule that empire. Then another king will arise, different from the other ten, who will subdue three of them. He will defy the Most High and wear down the holy people of the Most High. He will try to change their sacred festivals and laws, and they will be placed under his control for a time, times, and half a time. So we see that in the last days, before Christ comes to set up his kingdom, there will be a confederacy of ten kings, a worldwide government of ten kings. But one of those kings will also rise up and subdue three other kings. And he will start being very uh, antagonistic to God and to the believers of Christ. And he'll try and change everything that's going on uh, with their worship of him. And also with the Jewish people, because they too worship Jehovah God. So this is a second prophecy that Daniel shows that establishes the same events that John was revealed to in the book of Revelation when Jesus gave him the vision of the church. And when this first seal is broken, I believe this is the beginning of this worldwide government, this 10 kingdom confederation that will be in existence in the last days of the church, possibly or at least beginning to form in the last days of the church, but it definitely will be in existence when Christ returns to set up his kingdom once and for all on earth. So by looking at what we saw in the book of Revelation and comparing it to the visions that God gave King Nebuchadnezzar and that was interpreted by Daniel and also Daniel's vision in Daniel chapter 7, we see that there has been a history of worldwide empires. And we also see that God is aware of it and that there will be a worldwide government of 10 kings when Christ comes back to set up his kingdom. And we also see that this kingdom in Daniel chapter 7, that is in existence when Christ comes back, will wage war against uh, God's people, both Christians and Jews, I believe. But he will wage war against God's people, and he will uh, be against God. So we see that Satan is at work with this kingdom in the last days, just like he has throughout history. He has been in a spiritual war against the things of God from day one. Just like we discussed several episodes ago, several sessions ago, when we first started talking about the seven churches and how there was a spiritual war going on from the beginning of creation between Satan and God. And Satan has definitely throughout history manipulated leaders and used them, maybe even possessed, possessed them, to do things of great evil to try and stop God's plan of salvation on earth. So, you may be asking yourself, that being the case, and if this really is a worldwide government, and that the first seal, the first horseman of the apocalypse, represents a worldwide government, are there any signs of it going on now? 
Well, I tell you what, this is a general prophecy, and I'm not going to stand here and tell you it's happening now. I don't know for sure. We won't know till very likely it occurs. That's the nature of a veiled prophecy. It's veiled so that we cannot manipulate our futures and try and make money or profit off of what we know is going to happen. And this seal, the first horseman of the apocalypse of worldwide government is a veiled prophecy. It is not a prophetic sign. So we won't know for sure till after it happens. But like I said, God in his grace often gives us warning signs that it is near or that the potential of it happening is near. It's kind of like what I call seeds of sin. You see, nothing evil can happen overnight. It just doesn't happen that way. When it ha- something very bad happens and you look out through history, you'll see that there was actually seeds of this sin and seeds of this uh, uh, horrible thing fixing to happen throughout many years before, kind of setting the stage for whatever horrible event it was. For instance, we talked about Hitler. There was indications long before Hitler actually started his campaign against the Jews, Jewish people and other people, uh, and started his blitzkrieg in throughout Europe. There was indications long before that that it might happen. We know that there was indications even in our lifetime of Osama bin Laden uh, waging war against America, and we had indications that he was trying to do horrible uh, acts of terror against our nation long before 9-11 occurred, because he did do some of them on a smaller scale, and some of them were unsuccessful. So we see that bad things happen, and yet there's usually indications, because God is a gracious God, little warning signs or seeds of this evil happening years before the ultimate occurrence of this action. And that's the same case now. I think God is allowing us to see certain signs, warning signs, if you will, or to see the seeds of this worldwide government that are in effect today. Even though the worldwide government is not happening yet, and it may not happen in our lifetime, although I sometimes think it will, some of these things will make you wonder too if it's closer than we think. But these seeds or these warning signs have been occurring for the last 12 years approximately. Let's look at the first one. And again, if you're listening to this on the podcast, you won't be able to see these pictures. So you need to go to YouTube, Todd Talks Bible on YouTube, and watch this session number 15 so you can see these pictures and these graphics. Y'all remember back in 2008 when the stock market crashed and our uh, economy just bottomed out and we had a financial crisis of late 2008 and all through 2009. And we had what they was called a currency crisis. The dollar was worthless and everything was just collapsing. We were literally entering into a depression. And people don't like to call it that, but that's really what it was. And during this time on July well, actually, but even before that, on January 12th, 2009, January 12th, 2009, Henry Kissinger, who was 
President Nixon's former Secretary of State, uh, he gave a op-ed, his opinion, he wrote an opinion piece for the New York Times, and it was published on January 12, 2009, uh, almost 12 years ago, but it was right after the end of 2008 when the stock market crashed, right there in the beginning of this financial crisis of 2009. And this is what he says. Kissinger writes, The nadir of the existing international financial system coincides with simultaneous political crises around the globe. Never have so many transformations occurred at the same time in so many different parts of the world and been made globally accessible via instantaneous communication. The alternative to a new international order is chaos. In other words, he's saying we have to have a new international order, otherwise the whole uh, civilization of Earth will devolve into chaos. And he goes on. The alternative to a new international order is chaos. The role of China in the new world order is equally crucial. Now, right there, that talks about a phrase, this new world order, this new world alliance. And interesting enough, it starts bringing in China as a vital player. And you're going to start seeing these things over and over again. A lot of what I'm fixing to talk about, you will be recognizing as what's going on in today's headlines. Just like this whole thing that's going on with China and the trade difficulties we have with her. Now, after that opinion piece by Kissinger was published in the New York Times, on July 11, 2009, the G8, which is an economic, government, worldwide governmental uh, cooperation effort, uh, eight main major countries of the world get together and try and figure out ways to agree on certain things and to help each other. But its main emphasis is economics. It's called the G8. And you can look this up on the internet. It is still there. You can see pictures of this. But this here on this graphic that I'm showing you now is a coin. You've got to remember that during 2009, after the stock market collapsed in America, it collapsed worldwide. There was a financial crisis worldwide, a worldwide depression, if you will. And even though the world typically used the U.S. dollar as the basis of all its financial transactions, the dollar was worthless. And so people were starting to talk about at the G8, what can we do to battle this dependence on the dollar since the dollar is dying? And one of the things they were discussing is coming up with a new form of currency for worldwide transactions. Here's a picture that Russian President Dmitry Medvedev gave to the press and showed to the press, and that's how they got a picture of this, of a sample coin that was being passed around by the leaders of the G8. As you can see, it is a gold coin. It's got the year 2009 on it. It says unity and diversity and a big one on it. Basically talking about a one world economic alliance. So this coin came into existence as a possibility to be used in a worldwide economic alliance during the financial crisis of 2009. Now, this next coin that you'll see here came out about the same time. 
An interesting thing about this coin is I cannot find any documentation of who actually minted this coin. There is uh, several ads that were in magazines. It was on TV. I saw ads on TV. And, of course, you might still be able to spot some of them on the Internet. But this was actually being uh, minted and sold to the general public. And this all happened in the summer of 2009, 2009 when they were talking about using a new form of currency for a worldwide economic cooperative effort, a worldwide economic alliance. And this coin uses some of the same phrases that Kissinger had referred to. The New World Order is mentioned there. And on the back of the coin, you can see, interesting enough, the entire world divided up into 10 world regions. 10 world regions. And this is exactly what Daniel was talking about a worldwide government of the 10 kings that would exist right before Jesus comes to set up his kingdom on earth, what is commonly called the millennial kingdom. You notice this coin, not only does it say new world, 10 world regions, but on the back it says something post-change 8th is 666. 8th is 666. So I don't know what that refers to, but uh, believe it or not, later on in the book of Revelation, we'll come back to that coin and talk about some possibilities. Another one of these little seeds or, or warning indications was that during this financial collapse and depression of the 2009 currency crisis, a lot of experts and investments were giving interviews to the press about what to expect and how to invest. One of these gentlemen was Damon Vickers, who was the managing director of Nine Points Capital Partners based out of Seattle, Washington. On November 6, 2009, he gave an interview to CNBC on the Asian Squawk Box and also followed up 11 days later on November 17th with Glenn Beck. Now, what's interesting about his interview is this quote. This quote that he gave on the Asian Squawk Box, and he later followed it up with Glenn Beck, was just earth-shattering. Now, the shocking thing about this quote is that the news anchor on CNBC never really followed up with any kind of pertinent questions saying, like, Mr. Vickers, what do you mean by this? This is shocking. He just took it uh, like it was for granted that what Damon Vickers was saying that everybody knew about. But listen to what this quote is. It's kind of earth-shattering. Damon Vickers said this when asked about what to do with your investments during this depression, this currency crisis of the year 2009. He says, quote, It may resolve itself in some type of global currency crises. And then if the global currency crisis unfolds, then you inevitably get, I guess, an alignment under global world government, a new global currency, and the new world order. So we may be moving towards that. 
So during this financial crisis, we heard from Kissinger. We heard from the Russian president showing sample coins during the G8 conference. We saw this other coin pop up, but we still don't know where it came from. And now we have financial advisors like Damon Vickers, all of them talking about a new world order, a new world government, and new world currency. But it goes on. That same year, in 2009, December 3rd through the 9th, the Parliament of the World's Religions met in Melbourne, Australia. Now, the Parliament of World's Religions is an organization that meets, according to them, every five years, and they seek to form a one-world religion that focuses on solving poverty, climate change, and female empowerment. And this quote comes from an article called Kaleidoscope of Religions by Catherine Marshall on December 7th, 2009. And uh, Ms. Marshall is, at the time of this article, was a senior fellow at Georgetown's Berkeley Center for Religion. And this is what she writes about the Parliament of World's Religions meeting on December 3rd through the 9th in 2009. The parliament sees itself as part of a growing global interfaith movement. It celebrates the diversity of religions, always acknowledging that wide differences separate them. But it also builds on a conviction that there is a global ethic, strong common values and ideas. So here, she's not only just talking about uh, the global world governments cooperating, she is talking that this parliament is trying to get a global world religion that cooperates. Knowing that there's differences between all these world religions, they seek to agree on what they call a global ethic. In other words, a morality, a philosophy, or a religion, however you want to say it, that can be accepted on a global-wide basis. So not only do we see this push during 19, uh, 2009, excuse me, during 2009, did we see this push for world government, world currency, but also now world religion? Now, let's go back to Damon Vickers. Remember, he was the one that gave that quote back in 2009 to a lot of the uh, uh, news networks about what to do during this financial crisis. He later wrote a book uh, called The Day After the Dollar Crashes. And he wrote this, it got published in 2011. And in this book, I mean, if you ever get a chance to get this book, get a copy of it and read it. It is horrifying. It will shock you right down to your toenails. It is talking all about a worldwide government, a worldwide currency, and things that must occur for this government to take place. Now, again, the book is called The Day After the Dollar Crashes, published in 2011. And I'm going to read from page 95. And this is what Damon Vickers writes, page 95. And this is in his section called Taking It to the Street. This is where you start preparing for the new world order. You can become an agent for global transformation by changing your own thinking first, following what your heart tells you to do and doing what needs to be done. We need to stop poisoning our own government by recycling our soil old prescriptions and household toxins properly and stop dumping them in the ditch, in the toilet, or down the drain. We need to stop financially supporting corporations that abuse the environment by boycotting their products. We need to become active members of the human species instead of passive citizens 
of particular countries. I don't want to wrap myself up in the U.S. flag any more than I want to wrap myself up in the European flag or the Chinese flag. The flag I want to wrap myself up with is the flag that says I am part of this planet. Our allegiance needs to be every living thing in this world, every human being, every whale, every dolphin, every bird, every snake, every insect. Our allegiance needs to be to all life because all life is precious. We need to reach out to others and start creating synergy about the changes we want to see in our governments and in our businesses. We need to become activists, demanding changes, and accountability requires a coordinated grassroots effort. So in his book, this is just one section of it. Like I say, the book is horrifying if you ever read it. But it is calling for a worldwide government and is talking about things that people must do, even talking about a grassroots revolution, if you will, that demands this worldwide government, a drastic change in the way we think. And he himself says he doesn't want to be wrapped up in any flag like the U.S. flag or any national flag, but the world flag, the one world government, a world organization. But it's more than just these events that took place in 2009. There is a major event that occurred in 2015, September 25th through the 27th, 2015. It's called the UN Agenda 2030. See, on September 25th through the 27th, 2015, a historical event occurred. All the nations of the world were represented and met together at the UN building, and Pope Francis addressed the entire UN and pushed for the ratification of what is known as the UN Agenda 2030. Now, this plan or agenda uh, calls for all nations to participate in a cooperative government by the year 2030. It has 17 goals uh, that they have to achieve this agenda by the year 2030. Uh, 17 goals ranging from green energy to stop climate change, equality of all genders and sexuality, the safe migration across all national borders, to promote inclusion of all organizations, including religions. In other words, no more exclusive religions like Christianity that says only certain people go to heaven who believe in Jesus to set up cooperation between large cities independent of their national governments, and to give legal world identification, a world legal identification and birth registration to all people. Now, this is part of their goals. There's many more, and all this, again, can be seen on the UN website. All you have to do is Google UN Agenda 2030. You can find all this stuff out there. It is for real, and y'all may have... Uh, remember watching this on TV when Pope Francis spoke to the UN, pushing for the ratification of this agenda. Also, you might remember that during this time, there was a lot of Hollywood stars that had commercials on TV supporting the ratification of the UN Agenda 2030. And these ads were produced way in advance. They were high quality, and it was all a planned event, and this was all saturating the news during this event. Now, this happened in, like I said, 2015, September 25th through 27th, 2015. A plan from the UN to create a worldwide cooperative governing system that would be self-sustaining 
and heal the earth and also bring peace to everyone. That's basically what their goal was. And not only was all the nations ratifying it, America ratified it too under President Obama, all of the nations were ratifying all in agreement and Pope Francis to represent the religious viewpoint also was putting his sanction on it. But what's interesting, this year, in 2020, actually the end of 2019, they realized they weren't achieving things as fast as they could. Why was that? Because some interesting things happened. You see, up until this point, what we call this global mentality or the globalists were successful in pushing this philosophy of one world government from 2009 on, from these books like from Damon Vickers to Henry Kissinger and all the push for worldwide currency. All this was being fairly successful. And we call this the globalist philosophy. But the last election around 2015 and 2016, something became very apparent. Someone was running for president in America that did not go along with the globalist philosophy. He called himself a nationalist. He wanted to put America first. Of course, we're talking about President Trump. And also, England was going through the very similar thing with their new prime minister, and it was called Brexit. The people of Great Britain voted to pull out of the European Union. So right at the heyday of all this push for worldwide government from the globalist philosophy throughout the world, two nations stand up and say no. And they pull out of the uh, European Union uh, called Brexit. Uh, England pulled out of that. Great Britain pulled out of that. And then President Trump is running on a put America first platform. And when he got elected, you know your history. You know it, brothers and sisters. From that moment on, Hollywood said, we will start a resistance. And all the news agencies and all the actors and all the people on the left, all the globalists started attacking uh, the, the nationalist viewpoint that President Trump espoused from that moment on. And there's been such hatred and anger and wrath during these last four years. And I think you can kind of see why. You see, if Satan is behind all this push for this globalist agenda, pushing for this 10-kingdom confederacy, the worldwide government, then you can see why he'd be so upset if God continues to restrain it by allowing a resurgence in a nationalist viewpoint to take hold. And I think that's what happened. See, I don't think the seal has been cracked yet. It may be in our lifetime, maybe soon, maybe the next election, who knows? But I think God said, nope, we're not going to allow the worldwide government yet, a little longer. And when that happened and Brexit occurred in Great Britain and Trump got elected and the globalist mentality started taking stronger and stronger momentum here in America, all hell literally broke loose. And wrath and anger and spiritual oppression has just been unleashed. 
And that caused the UN at the end of 2019 to come up with what they call a decade of action. And it started in 2020. And it calls for uh, action in different areas, including local governments, to start making massive changes in the way their society works. And we're seeing that in America. And also people action. And they echoed the same thing that Damon Vickers wrote in his book, that it's time to take it to the streets to start demanding changes that will support this global mindset. And we're seeing that today in America haven't we? We're seeing a call for defund the police. We're seeing a call for uh, riots unless certain attributes of the green uh, energy policy are taking over. And the demands just keep coming. Uh, You know, it started off because we wanted to stop, uh, and rightly so, police brutality and the murder of innocent people when they got arrested but it has been entrapped by Satan and turned into this horrible thing for the last six months of rioting that is demanding certain things change on a very fundamental level in our society. And it's all about the globalist mentality fighting against the nationalist mentality. So, who will win? I don't know. I know that On the short term, only God knows. Will he continue to keep that first seal closed and not let the world government take place? I don't know. He might. But then again, it might be time for the end. And he might crack that first seal and allow whatever is restraining this momentum of the globalist movement to take hold and continue on. And he might allow the white horse to the white horseman to ride forth and bring this one world government of the Tim King Confederacy. He might allow it, and we might see it in our lifetime. We won't know until it happens. Many of you may be saying, but Todd, this is so scary. Don't you have any hope for us? Well, brothers and sisters, let me tell you something. My thoughts on this comes down to two points that I want to leave you with. Number one, don't put your trust in any form of man-made government. As Christians, we need to realize that man is always going to devolve into his sin. Mankind is a lost, unrepentant race. Mankind is born with a sinful nature. And unless they turn their hearts to Jesus, mankind will continue to sin. That's a fact. So every man-made government is imperfect. I don't care if it's the pure democracy of the Greek Empire or to a republic or of the Roman Empire or to the democratic republic, as we call our form of governing here in America. I don't care what type of government you come up with. It is destined to fail because it's man-made and mankind are sinners. That's exactly right. In fact, the only form of government that God totally approves of is a divine monarchy where he is the king. Remember in the Old Testament, 
He wanted the nation, the people of Israel, to allow him to be king. And he just used judges originally, but he was supposed to be king. But they rejected him as king and demanded their own earthly king. And first, uh, and you read about this in 1 Samuel, and the prophet Samuel had to anoint Saul as the first physical king, the first human king of the nation of Israel. And God told Samuel, don't be upset. They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. See, God wants to be our king. And we know from reading scripture that Jesus told his disciples, and we're going to see more of it in the book of Revelation, that one day Jesus will come and set up his kingdom. Just like the prophet Daniel said, one day the only approved government will come once again. God, Jesus, the Messiah, the King of Kings will come and crush that Ten kingdom confederacy and set up the only approved form of government that God supports, and that is a divine monarchy. The Messiah will reign on earth. So keep that in mind. God knows what's going to happen, and his plan is for Jesus to be our king once and for all. Also, keep in mind that God is in control even now. In Proverbs 21, verse 1, we read this. The king's heart is like a stream of water directed by the Lord. He turns it wherever he pleases. You see, it doesn't matter if it's a uh, 10th kingdom confederacy now. It doesn't matter if it happens later in the next generation. It doesn't matter if you live in a a country that has a tyrant for a king, or you live in a representative form of government like we do in America. It doesn't matter because whoever is in charge of your country, God can direct his heart like a stream of water. And God is in control. And that king won't be able to do anything unless God allows it. And that is why the, the globalists have not been successful yet because that first seal has not been broken yet. God is still in control. And if he decides to break that seal, he's still in control. And he will direct things as he chooses, and he will protect his people. And we may go through dark times, just like all believers have for 2,000 years. But he is king, and he will walk with you through those dark times. And you will endure if you trust him. So there is hope, but not in men and not in men's government. The hope is in the same place it's always been, in Jesus, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, God himself. That is where our hope always lies. And until next time, keep your eyes to the sky and read your Bible. Thank you for listening to Todd Talks Bible, sponsored by Church Discipleship Ministries. For more information, please visit churchdiscipleshipministries.com or check today's show notes for the link. Our teachings are also available on YouTube. Simply search for Todd Talks Bible. I'm Brian Race, encouraging you to subscribe to this podcast so you'll never miss an episode. Also consider sharing this timely teaching with someone you believe needs to hear it. 
Until next time, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all.